2: like in Argentina for River Plate or a Boca Juniors, or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Kings of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what, the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question.
1: When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces... Kind of fell into place for everybody except City.
2: I am your host, Joe Ucello, Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 355 of Low Limit Football on this 24th of April 2022. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, Manchester City got one step closer to the EPL title after a convincing 5-1 win over Watford on the weekend. We crown champions in Germany as Bayern Munich seal it with a 3-1 victory over Dortmund in der Klassiker. Real Madrid and PSG are within touching distance of their respective league titles as well. Real Batiste are crowned Copa del Rey champions, their first Kings Cup title in 17 years. And Eric Ten Hag has been announced as the incoming manager at Manchester United. We're going to discuss that and all things Manchester United with our very special guest, Mr. Phil Brown from Beyond the Pitch will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. How you been, my man?
0: I've been good, man. I've been good. We're starting to get into the nitty-gritty of the end of the European season. As you had said, champions are starting to be proclaimed. European spots are set to be confirmed. And relegation battles are still in place across all of Europe. So, yeah, everything's starting to get to the nitty-gritty of what we're going to expect from the top leagues in Europe.
2: Yeah, man. And right now, obviously... Um, the EPL is still a, a two team title race, uh, obviously within one point with Liverpool winning as well in the Merseyside Derby this weekend. Uh, but you and I are pretty convinced that city, we're going to hang on to that. Not so convinced in Italy where a four team race has really become a two team race now with Napoli giving up three goals in seven minutes to Empoli going from two nil up to three, two down and losing essentially knocking themselves out of the title race. Um, we've had some exciting races this, this year, haven't we?
0: absolutely 100 percent.
2: yeah, 100%. yeah. It's, and it's been fun to watch but uh we still have another four or five weeks to go in the season we've got champions league we, we're gonna be uh looking at with semifinals uh europa league you know europa conference league too we, we, we keep neglecting that uh that competition but maybe we'll look into it as they're also in their semifinals um as we get ready for what should be a quiet summer maybe and then back on to the season and the world cup of course so my friend, let's jump right into it. You have the honor of trivia, my friend. So without further ado, if you'd lay it on me.
0: Let's do it. Right. So Gabriel Jesus on the weekend in Manchester City's 5-1 win over Watford became the first Brazilian to score four goals in a Premier League match. He also becomes the latest Brazilian to be a part of the list for the Premier League hat-tricks. How many other Brazilians have scored a hat-trick in the Premier League? I just need the number.
2: This year or ever? Ever. Ooh. So since 1992. 1992. Oh, sit. okay. Since ninety-two hat tricks, okay. I'll try to think of some names. I mean, there are a couple that are crossing my brain at the moment. Yeah, but uh, all, all you need is a number. That's all. All I need is a number. So hopefully, we're gonna—we'll figure that out at the end of the show. Let's get into opening thoughts, my friend. And obviously, this is coming on the breaking news earlier today uh, from Get French Football News that Mauricio Pochettino will be imminently removed. And I'm reading the tweet. Um, As PSG coach, according to Le Parisien, uh, the board want him gone, he wants out, and more will be coming on that story. In a side note story, Antonio Conte, who currently, last I checked, was gainfully employed at Tottenham Hotspur, um, has offered himself to PSG on an initial two-year agreement, according to Le Parisien, as well. A lot of moving parts here. We we talked about it a couple weeks ago with uh, Kylian Mbappe. What does he do? Does he go to Real Madrid? Does he stay? Do you build about around Mbappe? Do you build around Neymar? Uh, the Lionel Messi question, aging pieces, including Sergio Ramos. Uh, Ashraf Hakimi has not been as good as he used to be, um, or at least what he showed when he was at uh, Inter last year. Wow, there is a lot here. And I think the Antonio Conte part offering himself to PSG is really quite the, the plot twist in uh, in the latest in PSG saga. What are your thoughts on Antonio Conte? Because, I mean, I think you and I both agreed, you know, Maurizio Pochettino was out at the end of the season no matter what. He did not get him to the Champions League final, let alone the title. Uh, so we, we we were pretty, co- you know, confident that he was out. But Conte, who had just taken the job, what, three months ago, four months ago at Tottenham Hotspur, hasn't had a transfer window yet and has is, is got Spurs moving in the right direction. And all of a sudden he's like, yeah, I'll go to Paris. Um, what are your thoughts on all that? I just think
0: this guy is getting into really chaotic situations for for a, a managerial career. And I'm talking about Conte as well because I, mm. I think it, it, it really, yes, and I agree. I think um, because of the failure of getting out of the Champions League so early, I think we knew that Pochettino's future was doomed from there. And the question was not if but when he was going to leave obviously with them wrapping up Liga yesterday um, and obviously no other titles to play for, I think it might come sooner. But, yeah, I mean, it was interesting about Conte offering himself because I think, you know, this is someone that get got into the Tottenham job, really, as someone that, you know, was looking to steer the ship on what was a chaotic Tottenham side, really. Mm. And, you know, the fact that, you know, that the, the, they looked at someone that, was a winner that had already done so much work, obviously what he did at Serie A with intern Juventus and even at Chelsea as well, where he's won league titles. But for him, if we believe the sources, him offering himself to a two-year contract is actually very chaotic. I I don't know if this is going to be the right thing. Having said that, I know that, you know, looking at what Tottenham are probably doing um, behind the scenes and their chairman, Daniel Levy, I think... There's surely been in communication with Pochettino to try to convince him to return to Spurs because obviously the, the big connection that he has there is is huge. So yeah, this is this is gonna be an interesting summer, honestly. And and also this is very dependent on if Tottenham make top four because they're still in that race to absolutely make it. I mean, you know, they're not gonna be participating in any competitions to basically win it, but like they're not in the Conference League or the Europa League or anything like that. So Really, their their only hope of making the Champions League is, is to finish top four you know at the moment right now they're they're currently in fifth place two points behind Arsenal they still have to play Arsenal in that uh, race so yeah I mean uh, I think if, if if Conte isn't able to take this Tottenham side to the Champions League group stage I think I think it's gonna really cause a lot of rifts I guess you would say with the with the Tottenham board and but again, yeah, this this is also someone that really didn't have a, a proper transfer window. I mean, he had some of his players come in January um, with Kulishevski and and whatnot. But I don't uh, know Bentancourt from Juventus. But yeah, it's it, it's so soon, and I'm I'm pretty sure that for both parties, they're not going to be happy with the way that that this is going on at the moment.
2: You know, you bring up an interesting point because Tottenham Hotspur are again, like you mentioned, two points behind Arsenal. Uh, we've got uh, we've got five matches to play in, in the champ- I'm sorry, in the EPL for both teams. Uh, you look at Spurs, like you said, who do have to face uh, Arsenal in this in this run all the way to the end here. Um, just pulling up their schedule now because just to look at to see what you know, just to kind of maybe play uh, a little crystal ball here and try and figure it out. Um, Spurs have Leicester at home. They've got uh, Liverpool on the road. Arsenal is going to be at home. Burnley on the road and Norwich at home. I'm sorry, Norwich on the road to close out the season. Um, obviously, the last two matches. I think you'd want to give Spurs six points, but uh, with with Spurs and and that Arsenal, that match on May 12th is going to be very very big. Coming off of a Liverpool match as well. That's going to be that's going to be hard because Liverpool until they're until they're mathematically eliminated, you've got to think Jurgen Klopp is going to have that team fighting for that last spot, and they currently sit one point back, just waiting. You know, with bated breath for, for Manchester City to stumble somewhere along the way. Um, I'm trying to call up the Arsenal schedule here real quick, and for some reason things have kind of slowed down on my computer. Um, but I'm just looking at it. Obviously, like we said, May 12th on the uh, on the on the matchup a, in London um, at uh, at Tottenham. But we're also looking at matches for uh, them on uh, uh, coming up next week on West Ham. Uh, they're going to play West Ham on the road. Uh, they face Leeds at home and imp- and an improved Leeds. Uh, Then they get Newcastle and then Everton, who are are really fighting relegation at this point right now, probably almost sealed for them. Um, Arsenal have an easier path at getting to that top four spot and getting into that Champions League spot. And I think um, that would do it, right? Uh, Roberto, you think that if if Antonio Conte is looking across the, the English channel here at Paris and saying, well, I could go there, they're going to pay me give me a two-year contract, and I'm in the Champions League, why would I not go there instead of staying here to Tottenham, playing in the Europa League, and and just kind of, you know, just buying my time? I I I, I would see the challenge at PSG as a more attractive, you know, option for Antonio Conte uh, than, than staying at Tottenham. What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, it's, it's very interesting, honestly, because I think there's a lot of moving pieces that need to go in place, and I think these things move by so quickly that you don't know mm-hmm. what could happen. So, yeah, I don't know, Joe. This just has a, a weird feeling about it, especially yeah. if you're offering yourself the job, which, you know, if I'm an employer for Tottenham I, or, you know, one of the higher ups, I'd be annoyed by that if, if the reports were true.
2: Yes, I will totally agree with you on that because this becomes a distraction to the team. You know, the Harry Kane and Young Min Song, they kind of look around at each other and go, hey, is this guy even gonna be here? I mean, we've got this thing pointed in the right direction. We're
0: who they themselves are also thinking, you know, is it worth it for them to even stay at the club?
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This could this could really rip Spurs apart. Um and I guess you really want to look at it, you know, when we sit at the end of May, are Spurs in fourth? If they're in fourth, I think it's much more likely that Song, Kane, all those guys stay, um, and then and then maybe even Conte stays, depending on what the feel is at PSG. Uh, but if they're fifth or worse, forget it. I think Conte's gone, and then and then I think you you really start to look at the the other players, the other pieces, and say to yourself, hey, are these guys going to stick around as well? Um, now,
0: now here's the thing though,
2: hmm.
0: PSG can do better, don't you think? Because I think the one name that I think a lot of people are looking for, and I think he's the hottest free agent at the moment, is Zadad. But again, mm. there's got to see what happens with France at the world cup. Cause maybe he wants that job to replace Didier Deschamps.
2: And I really think that is, that is the, the key there. I don't know that Zidane wants to go to PSG and coach there. I, I, I think that French national team position is really where he wants to be. Um, it seems like all the signals that he's given over the past, I'd say 18 months have pointed in that direction. Um, I don't know that he wants to do the PSG thing. I, you know, I, I think his heart is really at Real Madrid. When you look at the club, I mean, even even at Juventus, I, I, I don't know that he'd want to go there. You know what I mean? So I do think that Zidane, although being a huge free agent, um, is probably not go- going to look at uh, PSG as an option given when the World Cup is. This World Cup timing, I, I got to tell you, it really screws a lot of things up, doesn't it? No, oh, um, yeah, 100%. <laughs> I mean, between the free agent movement, between the coaching movement, between the clubs managing their players and their budgets and everything – This is this timing of this uh, of this World Cup is, you know, from logistics standpoint, a disaster. And uh, at least in my opinion, it is. And because of that, yeah, I think Zidane sits this out. I think he waits till after the World Cup, Um, you know, obviously going into the World Cup, if France win it, which they're certainly capable of doing that. Uh, then you look at Deschamps and say, what are we doing? You know, is Deschamps going to stay? He's won the World Cup. He's won the Euro. He's, he's done everything. Won the World Cup twice. Yeah. I mean, you know. I mean, this is this is like, you know what? I'm, I'm done. I'm going to sit by my fireplace with my pipe in hand and my smoking jacket, and I'm just going to live my life to the fullest because there is nothing left. Um, and that would be, you know, if I'm Deschamps, Deschamps, that's what I do. And then Zidane jumps in. If it is left as business unfinished. You know, France run to the semi final, lose in a close one to Brazil, let's say, or something. Then, then maybe Deschamps stays. Maybe French football wants him to stay. And then now Zidane's on an island. And then you start to look at: Does he want to take over at PSG? But now if Conte's there, then, like I said, this 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 World Cup is a nightmare. Yeah, so many dominoes are going to have to fall. And I'm excited that, hell, we're not involved in this. We're just going to have to
0: sit by the sidelines and, yeah. and just look.
2: We're just going to watch and talk and give our opinions and laugh because that's all we're really going to be able to do on this one. It's going to be insane. But the, certainly a lot of moving pieces at PSG right now, especially with the news that was breaking today. And we'll have to see also how this affects player movement that we talked about just a couple weeks ago if Antonio Conte is coming in, does Killian Mbappe want to stay with a guy that's very pragmatic with a guy that is, uh, you know, a little more defensive minded. Does, does Mbappe fit the three, five, two that Conte wants to play? Uh, does he want to train that hard? We all know that Antonio Conte is a, is he's a workhorse, you know, he's a, he, he wants you to work hard. Does Neymar want to work that hard? Right. I mean, now, does want to stay. Does Messi want to stay? Does Mbappe want to stay? Right, look at that. right. There you go. They look at Conte and go, listen, I don't want to do what he wants to do. So, I'm leaving and you know, so there's, wow, there's a ton of moving pieces in this PSG story and it's going to be fun over the next, I'd say what, four to six weeks to see if, uh, yeah, yeah, to see where these pieces move and, uh, who gets sacked, who moves on, who signs a new contract. going to be totally fascinating. We'll have to, we'll have to remember to have Jonathan Johnson on sometime in the near future as these dominoes start to fall, because I think he's going to offer incredible insight into something like this. so, Let's table our discussion of PSG and all those moving parts and wrap our heads around a club that has parts in motion already, right? We were joined earlier by Phil Brown from Beyond the Pitch, great, great person, Um, offers great insight and great connection to Manchester United inside the front door uh, with him. He does have many connections And we got to talk to him about Erickton Hogg coming in. We got to talk to him about Harry Maguire, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, the next captain of of Manchester United. So many things to discuss, uh, and we were lucky to have him on. So without further ado, the Phil Brown interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football. From beyond the pitch, Mr. Phil Brown. Phil, welcome back to the show. It's been a long time. We're really happy to have you back. I want to jump into Manchester United and the discussion real quick. Suffering last week, they 4-0 loss to Liverpool it really looked a last, lackluster uh, performance out of them. It facilitated the acquisition of Eric Ten Hag, bringing in the new manager from Ajax. Um, what were your thoughts on how quickly United moved to bring Ten Hag in once that result was final?
1: It really has no connection. Um, Ten Hag, uh, they've been working on for a while. I mean, I've been talking to people at the football club for a while about this. Um, They did go through an exhaustive process. It's just coincidental. But Joe, for United fans, what happened at Liverpool has been happening for weeks. So any announcement in the last few weeks would have coincided with United playing disastrous. Um, so, you know, it's just a mere likely coincidence that United are going to make an announcement on a new manager immediately after they play bad because they've been playing bad for a long time. Mm. And so uh, when you look at the Liverpool game, any game as a football fan, you typically look at it from a critical analysis and say, what do we need to put right next week to make sure this doesn't happen? Where's the gaps in our team? United fans can't even do that right now because United are in their own Toad Street, they're in their own death barrel. This what we're seeing will have will not be present next season. So you can't make, you know, practical evaluations on what you're watching to correct because it's not fixable with the current players that you have. So you need to go through the motions for the for, for the rest of the season, uh, and then they really do have to build from the ground up. You need only look at listen to what Ranyak is saying, um, talking about the players being fit talking about players having desire, being happy. These are the bare minimum you expect from a professional athlete. And if you're missing those, forget about everything else.
2: I, I totally agree with you. And, and, you know, now that we look forward, because obviously this, calling it a lame duck season, I guess would be the best way to, to talk about it. Um, for Eric Ten Hag to come in, given that he likes to play a 4-3-3, he doesn't really vary from that much at IX. Uh what is what does his shopping list look like you know are there is there a certain player here or there that mm-hmm. you think might be the the person that he's going to focus on or the players he's going to focus on and two will united open up up the purse strings and allow him to spend what he wants to spend to bring in the players that he needs
1: yeah so here there's a couple of things here <clears throat> um and i understand football fans we do this uh cool. we you know we're talking about players and we're talking about. The, before we can talk about captain and crew, you have to get a suitable vessel. You have to have something that you can actually win a race with, all right? That you are entering. So if you can get the best captain and the best crew, but if you're going to put them in a rowing boat, you know, and and, and ask them to win a race with with speed boats, you're not going to win. So before we talk about what captain and crews coming in, uh, we need to find out exactly what they're coming in to. And for the last name In ten years, you're never asking to be built, asking for their foundations to be built on the ocean, essentially. So the first thing that has to happen is the manager has to come into an environment where everything is structured around him being successful. In order for that to happen, you need ideological change. We talk about much that a cultural reset and everything else. The only time you can have a cultural reset is when it comes from the top. If you want to know what's important to a company, look at how it incentivizes its employees. United employees, and I'm talking about players too, really aren't incentivized to be successful on the pitch. So uh, I kind of make this analogy about Manchester United, the regular alcoholic uh, with New Year's resolutions. They start out with the best of enthusiasm and everything goes well for a while. And then they fall back into their own habits. Once they lose the urgency, See that caused them to make the changes in the first place because everything's going swimmingly, right? It's okay if we finish second because we're just not bad enough where that's going to cause protest, but, you know, and, and, and that's acceptable to us because we are making money, everyone's happy, you know, it's okay. That's the even keel that we needed to look into. find. That's cruising altitude for Manchester United. So the question is, are they going to prioritise women with- winning trophies and being a successful football club or being a successful business guys what we see at Manchester United is not an accident it's a direct consequence of a strategy that comes from the top down
0: so I wanted to go into maybe one of those players that perhaps are indeed leaving Manchester United and this comes in just shortly a couple hours ago was Mm -hmm. the injury of Paul Pogba which would leave him out for the rest of the season and potentially Essentially, that could have been the game that we saw against um, Liverpool, his final game in a Manchester United shirt. I mean, Phil, moving forward to this, I mean, I I looked at your tweet uh, a couple minutes ago where, you know, you said that if you love Paul Pogba, you're happy he's leaving, Mm -hmm. and if you don't, you're happy to, because there's plenty of blame to go around. But it's absolutely astonishing that in six years, Pogba has gone from one of the world's best young midfielders to someone we no longer even know what his best position is. Is that the legacy that Paul Pogba
1: will have at Manchester United? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And and, and the sad reality is there's so many things wrong, it's hard to pinpoint one or two things. And truthfully, they're probably all. I mean, Paul Pogba, this is where you you have to know the difference between buying 11 11 good players and expecting it to work and understanding how you you build a football team. Building a football team is not alchemy. It's relatively simple if you can afford it, right? There's an Intelligent people on in the game that know how to do this. So the fact that you know, they haven't done it is exactly what you see on the pits. We talk about leaders, right? But if you want to get someone to lead, the first thing you have to tell them is to where you're leading, want me to lead you to. Where do you want me to lead this team to? Second, okay, because that seems to me where, you know, are happy with top four, okay. When you are completely devoid of direction, when you're completely devoid of any type of proper sport and rigid strategy sport that you're adhering to, you get what you get at Manchester United. 11 players looking completely lost. Bruno Fernandes said after the game against Liverpool, uh, we don't play for anything. What does that tell you? That tells you that there's nothing that they're identifying with beyond the paycheck that motivates them. Right, and playing for Manchester United. That's a disgrace, that's a terrible indictment on the people who are responsible for putting a successful team on the pitch and getting players to identify with the football club and things that are more important than just how much you're paid. The problem is, lads, Manchester United sign brands. The, Richard Arnold, who's the most senior executive of the football club, described Manchester United players as 26 George Clooney's. This is how they manage them, they manage them individually, they monetize them to death and then wonder why they don't have a collective atmosphere inside a dressing room where everyone's willing to dive for each other because as soon as things go wrong the PR machine goes in the overdrive individual people that are managing individual players as brands blame each other they leak they do this they do this do this you cannot foster a collective atmosphere in that environment you just can't and I don't think there's any precedent in world sport where a team has operated with Brewster's millions spent all this money no. has any sensible strategy and here the end result is essentially 18 people that look like they've been conscripted to play for the club. It's
0: a really good assessment. And and Joe, I wanted to go to you on this one to piggyback more on, on Paul Pogba, because yeah. certainly you have been a fan of this player for quite some time. You know, you've seen him since his days at Juventus, where he was that really upcoming star and, and one of the best young midfielders in the world. And now is at a crossroads. I mean, I think you still have that talent. I think he was, he 29 or something. So he's still in the prime of his career. I mean, where do you feel would be best suited for a player like Paul Pogba to go? And, and Phil, even you can go in and add on to this. What do you feel like for the player, Paul Pogba with a team would be best suited for him?
2: So, you know, I was thinking about this this morning and, you know, obviously he was very, very successful at Juventus when he was there and, and Juventini were, were fat. We're sad to see him go. Um, I don't know that bringing him back now is the is the right move for Paul Pogba. Um, you know, when you look at the Juventus squad as it is right now, I get a lot of what Paul Pogba did for Juventus out of Manuel Locatelli and Locatelli's a, a massive talent. He is younger than Paul Pogba. Um, he is, uh, you know, he comes at lower wages than Paul Pogba. And I don't see Juventus where they're trying to focus on paring this wage bill down to bring in more players. I don't see them necessarily looking at Paul Pogba as a solution anymore. Maybe if we were talking about this this time last year, it would have been uh, definitely a solution. But I think at this point, I, I think Locatelli gives them what Paul Pogba would have given them at a, at a lower cost. So I don't see him going there. I really, for some reason, I feel like PSG is going to be the place where he goes. Um, I feel like he does, he does fit that system. They do need the midfield help, and I think he would fit in really well there. Um, you know, And then going back to France, of course, for him would, would also be a, a welcome site for Paul Pogba himself. So I, I I got a feeling PSG is kind of the place that he's going to go, depending on what they do with their head coaching position. But that's it for me. Phil, um, where do you feel like Paul Pogba lands uh, You know, after Manchester United? So this is a
1: really good question, because here's the thing. There's two types of clubs. There are sensible football clubs that make sensible signings that suit their football club and what they're trying to do. There's nobody that will have scouted Paul Pogba in the last year or two and said he's a solution to our problem. It's impossible. And I can understand if you're sending him a 23 saying that because there's potential there where you could have development. Paul Pogba's 29. He's not getting any better. So what sporting director watches Paul Pogba and says, that's what we're missing? An injury-prone player who doesn't have heart, who occasionally has ability, hasn't scored a home goal in three years. Right? Oh, by the way, wants two hundred and fifty thousand, three hundred thousand a week. I mean, th- the only way you can justify that is the commercial dividend. That's where a PSG comes in, you know. And so, to me, I don't see any serious football club with serious ambition sending him. And if that was was any different, Paul would have been already gone. The reason why Paul Pogba was leaving on the transfer is because you can't get anyone to, to pay for him. And look, this is not a new thing. Paul Pogba never really wanted to come back to Manchester United. Right? He wanted to go to Spain, but no one would pay the money. Right? Now he's a really nice guy. Personally, I've met him personally. I know his agent. I know his people well. They're not. They're they're nice people. They're intelligent people. I'm not talking about Mino. I'm talking about the people that actually Mino is the front of that agency. The lady that actually runs it's Rafael Pimenta, and. Uh, you know, very sharp, intelligent woman um, and uh, I think some of the criticism that gets a bit unfair, like I know for a fact that they told Pogba the first year he was at United not to do any interviews, to focus solely on his football they told Lukaku the same thing um, so but the problem is Paul Pogba let his agent disrespect the football club and that shouldn't have happened prior to playing Manchester City the Pep Guardiola was talking about Paul Pogba being offered to Manchester City that shouldn't be happening you know, a week after the transfer window closes last summer, Paul Pogba's agent talking about him leaving. That shouldn't be happening. That makes a manager's job impossible. So to me, I think that he has to learn from his mistakes from this, but this is what you're taking on with Paul Pogba. You're taking on Mino. you are know, taking And cost-benefit analysis of Pogba, it's hard to see where the benefit is. And, and you know, I, I think for all the
0: criticism that Paul Pogba gets, I think he still get a talented player there. And I think whatever club sure. he does go to... Will be uh, a good uh, asset or a good addition, but just,
1: yeah, but it let depends me say on, the on the people around them. Go for it, yeah, Roberto. Because this is an important point because failure isn't always solely the, the responsible of the individual. And you only point to Unai Emery, right? Unai Emery's failure at Arsenal wasn't entirely his, right? It was a collective failure. And i just saw Ralph Raniak say something that I said on a podcast yesterday, saying that a manager can't win this on his own. Right? This is why the, the of Eric 10 Hag has to be an admission that the whole football club has to change, right? That you have to make sure that you give someone every opportunity to be successful. And if you don't and they fail, that's not necessarily the individual's fault, just the wrong fit, the wrong place, the wrong people. I have no doubt that Paul Pogba could go somewhere else and be the player United never saw. I think if you buy someone like Paul Pogba, to use this in a metaphorical sense... Paul Pogba is the equivalent of buying a chef, right? Well, you need to give him the ingredients if you want him to come up with uh, a, 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 a delicacy. A, 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 a delicacy. If you want him to come up with a steak and 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 and, and potatoes, you can't give him bread and water. And you never give him bread and water and expected him to come up with, you know, alchemy, come up with your own? Uh, you know, you, we want this, yeah, but you can't. You, you have to. You can't get that. And so, United never built around him. And they've played him all over the place. They played him in left wing. They played him defensive midfield. They played him centre midfield. They played him off the front. Players can't build confidence that way. You know, you need to play him consistently in the same position. Build a team around him, and now you start to even see with Bruno Fernandez. And when you have linked players like Pogba and Fernandez, if they play in poor teams, they look terrible, because these are players that are the link man? These are players that link midfield to forwards, the creative. If your forwards don't score, your forwards don't make runs, but you're playing balls into space, all of a sudden, your stats are terrible. So you can look poor when it's not your fault. I'm not blaming Pogba, and I do believe that in the right place, I don't blame him for leaving, he should have left a couple of years ago, but um, I, I think in the right place, he could be an exceptional footballer, I agree with that.
0: 100%, and looking at one player that certainly has gotten a lot of cris- criticism this season, and you know, it's also unfortunate that, you know, it, it went into even worst, um, I would say, retaliation. And this obviously comes from Harry Maguire as we come from the news that his family were getting mm. a bomb threat. And, you know, I think no one should ever have to deal with that kind of stuff. It is absolutely despicable and disrespectful. Mm. And But, you know, I, I think we saw this from Roy Keane actually the other day, you know, slamming him, saying that, you know, he has to be in the top of his game. And, you know, Phil, I mean... When you're the Manchester United captain, I mean, you, you have to set the example for everyone else. And, you know, I
1: think for Maguire, it's just you're not seeing that at all. This so with Maguire, it's interesting, Joe, right? Because I look at my own emotional reaction to Maguire. And when I watch him play, I'm infuriated, right? And then I have access to Twitter and I'm tweeting things that are pure emotion. And then when I look on it later and I reflect on it, sometimes I feel bad. Because sometimes those takes are extremely harsh. And I'm not looking at it from, I'm not disassociating from it. I'm not looking at it from an external perspective and asking, what's it like to be McGuire? Right? What if I was him? And clearly, 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 and I said this to United actually the day before um, the bomb thing happened, where I felt, I don't know what the threshold is between criticism and abuse. I assume it's got something to do with going after people personally. And I think there's also a level of criticism where you have to say that's enough. Uh, and so I look at this and I thought uh, during the Liverpool game I think was the first time I, or after when I reflected on it was the first time when I looked at his body language and thought I'm concerned for his mental health right? and I felt that United needed to save him from himself and take him out of the team and I'm glad to see they're doing that this weekend um, because he sort of boxed into a corner being captain right? and I know for a fact there's players that have faked injury and said United not to play I'm not going to name them, right? But I know that he's never done that, right? But he looks a shadow of a human being, never mind a footballer. And the problem at massive football clubs is the pendulum swings heavy both ways. When things are going well, you're the best in the world. You're the greatest. Everyone loves you. They fall to your feet. But when things aren't going well, that weight flings the other way. And you get unbelievable abuse. It's the worst place in the world to be. Jesse Lingard got it. You know, you see so many footballers online deleting accounts, celebrities online deleting accounts. The crescendo of abuse is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Because most people only see it from their own perspective. I haven't relentlessly abused them. Yeah, but you and millions other have. Right? And the individual on the receiving end doesn't see it from a single person perspective. They get all of that everyone's perspective and sometimes we just have to be careful and I think that as much as we love football and it matters to us it's still only football mm-hmm. and to threaten a human being's safety like I, whenever they went after Woodward and went to his house I, I totally disassociated myself I thought, you don't threaten children you don't threaten people's family this is too far mm-hmm. and uh, I think you know do they really think that Harry Maguire if he was to play against Arsenal would come out and play exceptionally well in this environment. How can a human being, no matter what you do in life, perform in that environment? It's impossible. That's why I think United you know, should have taken him out.
2: Yeah, it's it's a weight. It's a massive weight, and and it's a massive distraction. And you're not going to get the best Harry Maguire after something like that at all. So I think no. it's a, it's it's the right thing to do. Let me ask you this though, because you talked about you know Harry Maguire's psyche, uh, you know, at this point mm-hmm. in in the season, at this point in his career. Um. Does United strip him of the captaincy? And I, I've got to think that would be detrimental to his, his health, his mental health overall. But do they, do they strip him of the captaincy
1: at this point? I think with Ten Hag coming in, this is an opportunity to do it without it looking like it's a punishment. And I think uh, that's all McGuire needs. It's plausible deniability that it's not a punishment. So you could easily sell this as you know Ten Hag wants to, you know, so change the captain. So, you know, Van Hollen changed the cap, Marino changed the cap. That happens, yeah. right? So, uh, I think United you know, will take this opportunity to take it off him. Um, but again, like I said, we're talking about leaders here. But if I took, I don't know, a military and dumped them into a war zone and give didn't tell them what I'm there to accomplish, didn't tell them what their, their game is, their goal is, but told my generals, to lead them, lead them were, right? do what? So it's very difficult to be a leader at Manchester United when they aren't clear what they want. Right. And so, you know, this is a football club that has its own entropy. Every three years, it goes from organisation to chaos in exactly the same way. Solskjaer was talking about, you, know, you need to be fit. You need to be fit fittest players in the league when he took over. It's exactly what Ranjuk said. How can professional footballers be working in an environment where they're allowed to not be fit? What's
2: the consequences for failure? Yeah, it's insane. It's insane. Uh, you know, one of the one of the names that pops up and a player I wanted to ask you about before we let you go was Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, you mm. know, the, the the question goes from should Cristiano Ronaldo be the captain of Manchester United? You know, moving forward uh, to uh, to the to the flip side of that question is is Cristiano Ronaldo the answer for Manchester United and should he stay there or should
1: United keep him there? So this is an interesting question, and um, you know, you never have a situation at the moment where a young player is no longer part of the first team squad because of something utterly deplorable that he did, Mm -hmm. right? We all know. But Cristiano Ronaldo did worse, and Cristiano Ronaldo has been forgotten about. Cristiano Ronaldo has been talked about as the greatest ever. It's almost a footnote we're saying Chris, Mason Greenwood can't play for Manchester United ever again. So there's Cristiano Ronaldo, the person. Cristiano Ronaldo, the footballer. Brilliant footballer. But you can't turn around and tell me, because the people inside Old Trafford are saying, Mason Greenwood can never play for this football club again if you're going to let Ronaldo be your captain. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. Because um, if you look at Ronaldo's deposition, I mean, it's far more incriminating than anything Mason Greenwood said. So, and I'm not saying that Mason Greenwood should be integrated. What I'm pointing out is the hypocrisy of this. I also think there's other metrics being used here to judge Mason Greenwood unfairly that other people aren't being judged by. And I think we know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So I think for United going forward, I cannot see them giving it to Cristiano Ronaldo for another reason. I think they want someone that will be captain for the next four or five years. Okay. Right, that is consistent that they build around, and United have a problem with Ronaldo because they need to send a, a striker. But how do you send a striker and play him beside Ronaldo? Right, because if you pay by Darwin Nunez, he has to play down the middle. Well, good luck trying to R- R- Ronaldo next season and having a happy dressing room, right? So, this is the problem, United back themselves into a corner too because commercial value. United was just way too tempting and the fear of City and their brand getting that bump was also a motivating factor. Now, I'm not saying that shouldn't be brought back. I like that he's there and I love the romance of it and uh, I fully accept that I'm, you know, my moral compass isn't you know, I'm not exactly a, 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 a beacon of decency. You know, I'm, I forgiven. Um, It's not up to me to forgive Ronaldo, but I accept that I can appreciate him as a footballer without judging him, which is wrong. I completely accept that. So I'm not trying to pretend I'm some pariah here, but um, I just, I look at this and I think that going forward, United need to make decisions that um, are not, uh, are not based on what happened in the past. And this is, sadly, the last problem that you United have. With Ferguson still at the club, there's still a massive divide by the people on the inside. I'm not just talking about the playing staff. I'm talking about the working staff. Between those who are loyal to Ferguson, those who aren't Ferguson, David Gill, do not like Richard Arnold, and do not like Wade Woodward. Um, this has been an ongoing issue for a long time. And so there's dysfunction and disharmony amongst even the working staff at the club mm. so there's a lot of fix. ronaldo is a fergie remnant and i think um it's not a surprise to me there's issues in that dressing room and from some of the stuff that i've heard it's 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 absolutely unbelievable
2: so so looking forward to the next captain at manchester united you know that the, the mm. names the with the criteria that you described the names that come to mind for me are marcus rashford and Jaden sancho um, are those the two names that you're thinking of or is there another mm. name I'm missing? Or, or, or a third one, Bruno Fernandez?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think the third one out of all three of them would be the most likely. Um, but what's going to be really interesting to see is um, Van de Beek. Because Van mm. de Beek, one of the reasons why he hasn't been playing for United is because his best position is in Bruno Fernandez' position. There's other issues too. Um, physical issues, not. But... Um, you know, we keep hearing Ten Hag's going to come back and restore Van de Beek to the starting lineup. You know, I will be. Talking about, I saw a thing the other day on Twitter. What will we'll still we we'll still be doing in twenty fifty? And I said we'll still be getting the manager to come in to get the best out of Van de Beek. Um, but uh, so you know, to me, I, I don't understand this obsession with making him a top player. You know? he's had two years to show it, and he hasn't shown anywhere. So it'd be interesting to see what he does there. Uh, another reason I don't think they'll give Ronaldo the captain is I don't think he is a captain I think he's extremely petulant I think he couldn't possibly demonstrate more it's all about him right mm-hmm. you know, and you can be inspired by that individually but collectively you know he could take off against Brantford and you know behave like he was getting deployed to Ukraine you know <laughs> and so you're and, and, and he's done that numerous times you know and that's fine because that's what he is. You know, he came off injured in the Euros in the finals and essentially took over the manager's role. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, this is what he is. So I don't think that's a captain. Uh, I also am aware of issues inside the dressing room that United will have to fix before they even entertain that thought. And so I almost feel that the problems inside United have prevented them from making the change because they don't want to be seen to um, concede in certain things to certain people. So... um, so, yeah, I think whoever takes over that captain's role uh, could be someone like a Scott McTominay. It could be someone like that, where they're not, they're, they're a stalwart of the team, but not high profile. Um, these are not brands. These is just an, a regular guy. And I think uh, if he pers- personifies the characteristics that United want, which I think he does, it, it could be that. It could be someone like him.
2: All right. Man, a leader of men sounds like to me. So, Phil, I want to thank you for joining us on the show. Always a pleasure to have you on, and always my love you. Thank you. We'll uh, we'll have you back again very very soon, my friend. And all the best. Anytime, boys. And special thanks again to Phil Brown for joining us on the show. Roberto, we've got some great matches of the week coming up this week. Obviously, the return of Champions League, Europa League, and Conference League for the semifinal matchups in all those competitions, as well as what's getting down to the wire here in all the leagues, both at the championship level and at the relegation level. So let's start with Tuesday. Manchester City, Real Madrid, semifinal number 1, Tuesday at 3 p.m. On Wednesday, semifinal number 1 between Liverpool and Villarreal at 3 p.m. as well. Thursday sees uh we'll kick it off with a little taste uh Manchester United and Chelsea in the EPL at 2:45 p.m followed by Leipzig and Rangers at three o'clock and West Ham Eintracht Frankfurt at three o'clock in the Europa League as well those semifinals leg one as well then let's get to Saturday where we've got a bunch of relegation matches to watch starting out with Armenia-Bellefield against Hertha Berlin at 9.30 a.m. in the Bundesliga. Sampdoria-Genoa at 12.30 p.m., also a relegation battle there. And then a European spot battle between Athletic Bilbao and Atletico Madrid at 3 p.m. in La Liga. We're going to close it out on Sunday with a great match between Marseille and Lyon at 2.45 p.m. and then go all the way to 10 p.m. Eastern where LAFC is going to take on Minnesota United in the MLS as well. My friend, you gave me a trivia question earlier in the show. If you wouldn't mind repeating it for the listeners.
0: Absolutely. So Gabriel Jesus became not only the latest Brazilian to score a hat trick in the premier league, but also the first Brazilian to score four goals in a premier league match. Can you give me the number of the other Brazilians that have done so?
2: So you're looking for a total number. I, you know, I've tried to think of how many Brazilians would have been like super goal scorers in the EPL and not a ton of names come to mind. So I'm going to give you a number of three. You are under. I'm under. Wow. There have been more. All right. Uh, I'm not going to go any higher than five. Is that your final answer? That's my final answer.
0: Five different Brazilians have scored a hat-trick wow. in the Premier League. I knew the
2: number was low. Do you have the names? It, or... I do.
0: Alfonso Alves was the first one for Middlesbrough. Mm-hmm. Robinho scored a hat-trick for Manchester City. Mm-hmm. Roberto Firmino scored two hat-tricks for Liverpool. Yep. And Lucas Moura also was one that was included. And now Gabriel Jesus makes up the list of, of five. five different
2: Brazilians. Wow. And, you know, two names that I was curious about was Philip Coutinho and Richarlison, and neither of them are on your list which is pretty interesting, I think, but
0: not yet. Not
2: yet. I mean, not yet. Yeah. Their careers are young. So Uh, without anything left on the docket, my friend, let's hit the closing music. Yep. Here we go. So for episode three fifty five of low limit football, special thanks again to Phil Brown for joining us on the show next week. We are off. We're taking the week off uh, as we've got personal things to do and we'll be back the following week to bring you all the action from champions league, Europa league, conference league as well we'll crown a few more champions and take a look at the close races at the epl and the A as they head to the final matches of the season so for episode 355 of low limit football i am joe usello
0: i'm marito rojas
2: thanks for listening everyone and good night